Um, I invite you each to uh, pull out a copy of God's Word and turn to the book of Jeremiah. Now, Jeremiah is in what we call the Old Testament. And if you turn to the table of contents in pretty much any Bible, you can find the book of Jeremiah. It comes right after Psalms, Proverbs, Ecclesiastes, Song of Solomon, Isaiah, and then Jeremiah. Go ahead and turn there. We're going to be in chapter 1. And I'd like to begin by reading this entire chapter. So please follow along in your Bible as I read. Jeremiah chapter 1, starting in verse 1. The words of Jeremiah the son of Hilkiah, one of the priests who were in Anathoth in the land of Benjamin, to whom the word of the Lord came in the days of Josiah the son of Ammon, king of Judah, in the thirteenth year of his reign. It also came in the days of Jehoiakim the son of Josiah, king of Judah, and until the eleventh year of Zedekiah the son of Josiah, king of Judah, until the captivity of Jerusalem in the fifth month. Now the word of the Lord came to me, Jeremiah is speaking, saying, here's the word of the Lord. Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. And before you were born, I consecrated you and appointed you a prophet to the nations. Then I said, ah, Lord God, behold, I do not know how to speak, for I'm only a youth. But the Lord said to me, do not say I'm only a youth, for to all who, whom I send you, you shall go. And whatever I command you, you shall speak. Do not be afraid of them, for I am with you to deliver you, declares the Lord. Then the Lord put out his hand and touched my mouth. And the Lord said to me, Behold, I have put words, my words, in your mouth. See, I have set you this day over nations and over kingdoms to pluck up and to break down, to destroy and to overthrow, to build and to plant And the word of the Lord came to me, saying, Jeremiah, what do you see? And I said, I see an almond branch. Then the Lord said to me, you have seen well, for I am watching over my word to perform it. The word of the Lord came to me a second time, saying, what do you see? And I said, I see a boiling pot facing away from the north. And the Lord said to me, out of the north, disaster shall be let loose upon all the inhabitants of the land. For behold, I am calling all the tribes of the kingdoms of the north, declares the Lord. And they shall come, and every one set his throne against the entrance of the gates, against all its walls around, and against all the cities of Judah. And I will declare my judgments against them for their evil in forsaking me. They have made offerings to other gods and worshipped the works of their own hands. But you dress yourself for work, arise, and say to them, Everything that I command you, do not be dismayed by them, lest I dismay you before them. And I, behold, make you this day a fortified city, an iron pillar, a bronze wall against the whole land, against the kings of Judah, its officials, its priests, and the people of the land. They will fight against you, but they shall not prevail against you, for I am with you, declares the Lord, to deliver you. Father, we ask that as we begin this series in the book of Jeremiah, Lord, that you would help us this morning, help us to learn from Jeremiah that we might endure a tough ministry, whatever it is that you might call us to. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, I know you all love it when I use 
LeBron James and Cleveland Cavaliers illustrations, so I figure I'll begin yet another sermon. Um, in 2016, of course, uh, Cleveland went to the finals, and uh, the tagline, the hashtag that year, the slogan was, anybody remember? No? It's two words. Come on, Akron. Nothing, you got, nothing, uh, it was all in, all in. That was the slogan all year long, we're all in. And as the season went on, the Cavs make it to the finals, and it's a brutal finals. They, they were down in the series 3-1. to one. What that means is, for those of you that don't follow the NBA, if the Warriors won one more game, the Cavs would be done, and their uh, dreams of getting a championship would be over. No team had ever come back from a 3-1 to one def- deficit in the history of the NBA. But God. <laughs> Just playing. So 2016, the Cavs do that, all right? They come back from a 3-1 to one deficit, and they actually win in Game 7. Nobody had won since 1978 on the road, Game 7. They win that as well. It was a brutal, tough, long series, and they pulled it out. And I feel like All In was a pretty good slogan. They were all in sort of for the long haul of the season, and of the series, and of Game 7. Now, to turn that spiritual, all right, some of you just think I'm trying to share Cavs stories sometimes. I've got a purpose. There, there is an endurance that is needed in the spiritual life. There is a sense, to use the Cavs slogan, that we need to be all in. And not just all in for one game, not just all in for when we're winning and doing well, but we need to be all in for the long haul in the spiritual life. It's a long road. And we are tasked with an extraordinary ministry, but it's not easy. And so I want to talk to you today on this theme, all in for the long haul. Now, what makes ministry hard? What is it that makes Jeremiah's ministry that he's called to hard? And what is it that makes our ministry hard today? Well, here, I'm going to simplify it for you as to, to frame everything. What makes it hard is that humans are rejectors of God. And Christians are people who have received God's words... And we testify to rejectors of God the message that God has given to us. And that is not easy. It's hard because when you communicate God's word, you're the bad guy. How many Christians have tried to faithfully, lovingly, gently communicate God's word and their response is something along the lines of, you hurt me. You hurt my feelings when you say that. You're the bad guy. You see, rejectors of God reject the messengers of God. And so that means if you're going to be a messenger of God, and by the way, some of you who said, well, I'm not a pastor, I'm not a minister, take those titles out of your head right now. If you're a Christian, you are a messenger of God. You have, been, you have received a word and entrusted with a word, and you're to communicate that word throughout the world. That's what we do as Christians. We are light. 
and we share this message. But if you're going to do this for the long haul, you're going to need some endurance. You're going to need to know what Jeremiah knew. And so that's what I want to focus on this morning, is what did Jeremiah know that helped him stick at it for the long haul? Let me just show you something really quick as we start here to show you the long ministry that he had, the endurance that was needed. In the first couple verses right there, you see in verse 2, he says, the word came first in the days of Josiah. That's uh, in the year 627 B.C. So that's when his ministry began, and his ministry ends right there in verse 3 during the 11th year of Zedekiah. That's 587 B.C. What that means is that Jeremiah had a 40-year ministry where he's been entrusted with this word, this message, for 40 years. And if you know anything about where we're going and what the story of Jeremiah is, is that he came with a difficult message and he was, for the most part, rejected for 40 years. And then finally, Babylon comes in, Israel goes out into captivity, Jeremiah himself is led into captivity, and he continues his ministry even in captivity. He was in it for the long haul. What did he know? How is it possible that someone could give their entire, the the, the best part of their life to this difficult road of ministry? Well, look at verse 19. This is what I think he knows. God says, they're going to fight against you, but they're not going to prevail against you because I am with you, declares the Lord. We need to know what Jeremiah knew. Now, before we get into this, let me give you some context for this book, which I think will help you understand some things. Over Christmas, we went, uh, dabbled in Isaiah a little bit. Isaiah comes before Jeremiah. Isaiah is prophesying to the same people. They reject Isaiah's word, and that's why Jeremiah is now on the scene. Now, if you remember with Isaiah, he's prophesying about how uh, they're turning to Egypt to get help against Assyria. If you can imagine, Israel is this small little country, and there's this huge empire called Assyria just to the north. And below them is another empire called Egypt, or a country called Egypt. And so Assyria calls to Egypt during the days of a king that comes after Isaiah named Josiah. Now, Josiah was a good king. Josiah starts to bring some change, some reformation to Israel. But what happens is this. Babylon begins to form and rise. Babylon is a whole different empire. Babylon pushes from the east north into Assyria and attacks Assyria. Assyria is now on its downfall. And so Assyria calls to Egypt. Where's Egypt? They're south of Israel. So Egypt just comes on right through Israel to help out Assyria. Josiah goes out and meets the king of Egypt on as Egypt comes through Israel and Josiah is killed that day. This is a turning point for Israel because what happens is his brother Jehoiakim, who's mentioned in these first couple verses, takes over and Jehoiakim is a bad king. Jehoiakim, after his brother's death, pledges his allegiance to Egypt. 
Jehoiakim builds himself this beautiful, luxurious, massive palace, and he does it with forced labor of the Israelites. Public morality all throughout Israel just plummets. Things get really, really bad. In the meantime, Babylon pushes into Assyria. Babylon conquers Assyria. And this is the culture in which Jeremiah comes on the scene. What's about to happen is Babylon is going to crush down and hit Israel. And, 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 and they're going to do so as the very uh, hand of God and Jeremiah is prophesying about that coming judgment. So what does Jeremiah know? What is it that helps him through this very difficult, very long ministry? Well, there's three promises that I want to show you in this text that I think Jeremiah knew that sustained him throughout a very difficult and very long ministry. First, God promises his provision. God promises his provision. I love the story of William Carey. He was a uh, missionary to India. In the first seven years William Carey was in India, it was really, really hard. He actually wrote this. He says, I'm in a strange land, and uh, I've got no Christian friend. I've got a very large family, and I've got nothing to supply their needs. But then he retains this hope in his writing. He says, well, I have God, and his word is sure. That last part, that, that piece right there that, retain, that, that, that uh, gives the kind of endurance that William Carey needs in India, it's the same promise that Jeremiah has throughout 40 years. Is he's got nothing. Nothing but problems, trials, trauma. But he's got God's word. And this is what's going to sustain him. Look at what God gives him. Look what he provides. First, we see that God provides his own wisdom to Jeremiah in verses 4 and 5. Look at these verses. Look what God says. It says, uh, the word of the Lord came to me, and God says this to Jeremiah, before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. And before you were born, I consecrated you. I appointed you as a prophet to the nations. Now imagine that you are about to go through a very difficult life of ministry, trials, some situation that you're going to walk through that's going to be really hard and it's going to require a lot of faithfulness to God. And God's word comes to you and says, hey, Jacob, before I formed you in the womb, I already knew you. Montreal, before I, uh, you were born, I had already predestined a plan for your life. And you're about to walk through what I have purposed for you from eternity. So we see God's wisdom at work in Jeremiah's life from even before the, the time he came out of his mother's womb. Meaning as Jeremiah goes through everything that he goes through, as he goes through all of the challenges of his ministry, he can be convinced that everything is the very purpose of God. It's as if God is saying what is going to sustain you through your life and through your ministry are my own purposes for you. Secondly, we see that God provides his own word to Jeremiah. Look at verse 
6, Jeremiah, kind of like Moses, he reminds me of Moses here. He pushes back and he says, I can't do this. I, I can't speak. Remember Moses? Jeremiah says, I'm, I'm only a youth. I, I don't know what to say. I, I'm not a good speaker. I'm not eloquent. So what is God's response? Verse 7, he says, whatever I command, you're going to speak. Don't worry about it. I'm going to tell you what to say. And then he says, look at verse 9. He says, he says, the Lord touched my mouth. Meaning God uh, put his words into Jeremiah's mouth and basically said, I'm going to take care of everything that you need for this ministry. I will gift you for the ministry that I've called you to. And so God then gives him these words. He says, behold, I have put my words in your mouth. Now, this is in stark contrast to the way that Israelites were supposedly getting messages from the Lord back in this day. They were listening to mediums. They were going to prophets of Baal. They were doing all this crazy stuff to try to find out what God is saying. And God comes to his prophet Jeremiah and says, forget all of that. I'm going to speak directly to you. I'm going to give you words, and you're going to take those words and you're going to communicate what I say to the people. It's just simply that clear. Now today, we still have God's Word, don't we? As a matter of fact, see, some of you might think, well, God has never done that for me. God has never given me words. Listen, God has given you more words than Jeremiah ever got. He has given us all that we need right here in in His Scriptures. Like when we lift up the Scriptures and say God speaks through His Word, we're actually saying that. We're saying God speaks through His Word. The reason we don't need to go to witches and mediums and all these kind of crazy stuff to try to find messages from God is because we have enough right here. He has given us His Word. So in the same, I would even say this, not in the same way, we are more equipped than Jeremiah was. We do have more words than Jeremiah had. We have a more of a message than Jeremiah had. We have a bigger message than Jeremiah had. Every single one of you. Like you've never been to seminary. You've never had a Bible class in your life. You have more than Jeremiah had. As you open his word and read his word, And we are entrusted with God's Word. Now let's be real for a second. As we speak God's Word to the world around us, His Word is not always popular. You see, God's Word says that God has sovereignty, which means control or lordship, over everything. So you want to talk about marriages? Well, God has sovereignty over every marriage. You want to talk about singleness? God has sovereignty over singles. You want to talk about your sex life? God has sovereignty over your sex life. You want to talk about the way that God has wired us and made us? God has sovereignty over the way that he's wired us and made us. God has sovereignty over every people group, everywhere. He is Lord. It's not A question. God is the Lord of every ethnicity. God is the Lord of every country. God is the Lord of males and God is the Lord of females. 
He is the Lord of children, and He's the Lord of old folks who are dying on their deathbed. God is the Lord. He has complete sovereignty. And as we speak His word of His sovereignty over all of creation, well, it's not always popular. We're going to get some pushback. And so we're going to need some kind of endurance. But what does he give us? He provides his word. All that we need for our message. This is why the proclamation of God's word needs to stay at the center of our worship services. This is why I stand up here and preach for all this time. It's because we've got to keep his word at the core. This is why we pray and, and as I love, Anna, I appreciate you just mentioned that in your testimony today about how we ought to be sharing God's word with each other. Not in some contrived, weird way, but it should just be natural that we are regularly encouraging each other with God's word, speaking God's truth over each other. We ought to be speaking His word, His truth to the lost. See, so many of us, we get freaked out thinking about sharing our faith with other people who don't know Jesus because I don't have the words to say. Well, you sound like Jeremiah, don't you? God says, I'll give you what to say. Say what God says. Quote Scripture when you evangelize. Don't try to quote Aristotle, all right, or some philosopher. Don't try to quote people that quote God's Word. And it's powerful, it's living, it's sharp, cuts us up, and it bandages us back together. If you're not a Christian here, I want, you, I want to ask you this question. Will you submit to God's Word? His Word is clear, but will you receive it as a message for you, or will you reject it? All right, let's move on. I want, you, I want you to see the first messages that he gets here. He gets these two visions, first in verse 11 and 12, he gets this vision of an almond branch. What's he talking about there? I think all he's saying is an almond branch is the first, uh, or an almond is the first to bud in the spring. So it's likely, according to some theologians, it's likely that what he's saying is, is that his word is going to come quickly. I think that's all he's saying, is that, that God is watching over his word, and his word is going to come quickly. He's not going to delay in, in, uh, uh, in accomplishing the message that he is sending through the prophet Jeremiah. And then he gets this second vision of a boiling pot facing away from the north. If it's facing, if a boiling pot, picture this with me, it's a boiling pot is facing away from the north, that means it's tilting. It's tilting which way? Toward the south. What was up north beyond Israel? Assyria, and then eventually it would be Babylon. And God says, I'm, I'm gathering all of the tribes of the kingdoms of the north, and they shall come, every one, and set his throne at the entrance of the gates of Jerusalem. What he's saying is he's likening Assyria and Babylon to this boiling pot. And he's saying that they are about to pour out all of their fury on Jerusalem. You see why his message is not very popular? 
Which leads us to our second point. God promises not just His provision, but God promises His protection for Jeremiah. I heard a story of a, of a young 13-year-old warrior who was being trained up for battle. And the final stage in his training, the community took him into the middle of a forest and they put him in this forest blindfolded. And he was there until the sun set and it wasn't until midnight that he could take off his blindfold. So at midnight, the boy takes off his blindfold and he's there alone in the middle of this forest. Freaked out of his mind. Just standing there all night. Every time I branch cracks, he freaks, jumps, wondering what's about to pounce on him. Every time the wind blows a leaf, he's afraid of who's going to attack him. Finally, the sun begins to rise. It's dawn, and, and he starts to see the outline of the trees, and he can now make out some flowers, and he sees the pathway which will lead him back to the camp. But there, just not too far away, he sees the figure of a man and he quickly realizes that that is his father who's standing there with a bow and an arrow who is there all night long watching over and protecting the boy. What is it that gets you through the dark? What is it that gets you through these scary times? Well, it's knowing that your father is protecting you. It's knowing that God is watching over you. And this is what God tells Jeremiah. He's going to equip him with his own protection. In verse 18, he, he said, basically says, I'm going to make you, I'm going to fortify you, Jeremiah. I'm going to build you up. He, look, look at verse 18. He says, you're going to be like a fortified city, an iron pillar, bronze walls against the, land, the whole land. Meaning like, I'm putting armor all around you and nobody is going to be able to ultimately kill you. They're going to fight against you, he says in verse 19. But they're not going to prevail against you. And that is true today. God will protect you in this journey. Like, I can't tell you how many times the Holy Spirit has bandaged my battle wounds from ministry. I can't tell you how many days I felt like quitting. Discouragement. Tears. Days where I would sit with my wife and just be exhausted on the verge of depression from the challenges of ministry. Yet God has this way of fortifying us, strengthening us, building us back up, putting a wall around us, protecting us. I mean, as we're in the beginning of the year, I always kind of think back on the ministry and I think of the challenges that we've had as a church over the years that God has just led us through and helped us through. I think of times where there, there have been people who, like entire people who have left the church at once or in the early days of just differences and challenges and just discouragement that that would bring to me. Yet God continues to, to, to guide my steps. And here we are in 2018, still doing ministry. Seeing some cool things happen. Seeing people get jobs. Seeing people come to Christ. But it's only because He protects us. 
Now, I'm not saying that God will never allow one of his saints to die. He will. He does and he has. But even that would be for a purpose. Like, you could kind of think of it this way. God will protect you physically. He will protect you for as long as he wants you on this earth. And when he's ready to bring you home, don't worry about it. He's just going to bring you home. (laughs) So we've got nothing to fear. And Jeremiah has nothing to fear as he goes into this 40-year ministry that is going to be so freaking difficult. Obstacles. Challenges. Now, I want to be careful here. We need to avoid these extremes. Because as we're talking about sort of persecution, or we're talking about the challenges that we face, there are some extremes that we can, can fall into. Avoid the religious extreme. What I mean is like those people who kind of bring on persecution because they're just a jerk. People Like Christians who, they, they, they love the idea of being persecuted. And they're going to say things in as mean of a way as they possibly can, and then they're going to call the response persecution. Christians who, who are just mean-spirited, they've got a sour attitude, they're judgmental, avoid that kind of stuff. Like no saint has ever tried to gain some persecution for themselves. Like be winsome. You know what the word winsome means? It means winsome. Like, try to win some. Don't just make enemies in the way that you share the gospel. Don't just make enemies in the way that you try to communicate. Win some people. Win them over. But then we've got to avoid the other extreme, which is this. You could say the irreligious, they just simply avoid persecution at all costs. And if persecution comes because of a certain belief that they have, they're just going to abandon God's word so that they can be with the world. Because in this life, it's actually kind of easier to be with the world than it is to be with the Word. But people of the kingdom cling to the Word of God and seek to faithfully communicate the Word of God at all times, in all places, among all people, no matter what. Amen? Let me remind you that Baltimore is a hard city. It's it's challenging work here. I often say that Baltimore is hard soil. We've got uh, folks in this city who have been burned out by the church. They feel like the church is used and abused. distancing themselves from anything that would look like organized religion. we got folks in this city who are, are turning to, to Islam and to other religions as alternative to what their parents, what their grandparents might have grown up with. We've also got people in this city who think they're Christians or they think God's good with them. Like I've talked to so many friends in this city about God and they, they say, yeah, yeah, God's got me. No, I'm looking at the way he's living his life. I don't think God's got that. But there can be an assumption with so many people that, that God's just on my side. Now, when we come with God's truth 
in our ministry here in Baltimore City, we've got to be prepared for some long, hard ministry. That's what I'm trying to say. You see, instant gratification can be a problem, even for Christian mission, uh, ministers. What I mean is, instant gratification is, is I want to get what I want right now with no delay. And when we try to do ministry in that way, we are going to get discouraged very fast. When people don't jump and respond to the message that we communicate the first time we communicate it, we're going to get really discouraged. And we're going to say, well, they didn't respond. I'm done with this. Forget it. I've tried. I tried to be a faithful minister, and I talked to that guy about Jesus three times, and, he's, and he hasn't responded. Forget it. I give up. I give up with these people in the church because I've tried to, I've tried to help them out, but they're still struggling with sin, so I just give up. We give up too quick as, as American Christians. Why? It's because we are prone toward instant gratification. We need delayed gratification in Christian ministry. We have to be okay with the fact that it might take 40 years to see a convert. We've got to be okay with the fact that we might pour into somebody and let, let the person stay with us and live with us and eat at our table and, uh, and, and study the Bible, with, and they still don't get it year after year after year. We've got to be okay with that kind of ministry if that's what God has called us to. And we can't be afraid. We can't be afraid of rejection or we're going to run like scared kitty cats. Thirdly, God promises his provision. God promises his protection. Thirdly, God promises his presence. He promises his presence to Jeremiah. The reason that Jeremiah is not afraid is because God says, I will be with you. Look at verse 8. He says, don't be afraid of them for, what does he say? For I am, come on church, are you with me? I am with you, declares the Lord. Verse 19, they are going to fight against you, but they will not prevail against you for what? I am with you, declares the, God, uh, the, the Lord. God with us is more important than the world being with us. And that's what matters to Jeremiah. I heard a really gross story about mice. You want to hear it? I'm going to tell it to you anyway. So this dude had a lot of mice in his house. And so he goes out and gets decon, which is the poison that works really well to kill mice. And he sticks some decon underneath his bed, all throughout the house, but he puts a box of it underneath his bed. And in the middle of the night, to his horror, he hears like a feast of mice in the decon. He wakes up in the morning, and he looks at the box, and they, they licked it clean. So the next night, he puts another thing of decon out there, and it's another feast. And they all come, and they have a party, and they're drinking wine, and they're eating all the decon. Wakes up, they licked it clean again, but it worked. And pretty soon, all the mice in the house we're dead. Moral of the story. Not everything that is popular is good for you. <laughs> Listen, feasting on public approval is like mice feasting on decon. Feasting on the world being with you. Feasting on getting likes from the world. 
feasting on getting the culture on your side is like eating poison. Jeremiah is more concerned about God being with him than he is about the world being with him. Somebody with me? Now, like I said, I want to reiterate this. This doesn't mean, though, that we go out and we make fights with the world. There's no saint who was ever persecuted just because they were being a jerk. As we speak the Word of God to people, we need to do it and ought to do it in loving and gentle and careful ways. And when we discuss like hot-button issues such as gender or homosexuality or, or, or abortion or some other things, uh, the, these things can be very sensitive and very emotional with some folks, and we need to recognize that as we speak. And speak in ways that, 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 are, that are loving and that are winsome, meaning we win some over in the way that we communicate. But, here's my point, no matter how winsome you are, opposition is going to come. And we don't back down to be with the world and lose the presence of God. Is God's presence with you more important than the world's presence? Like, look at these marching orders that God gives to him. If, 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 if you are dismayed by them, I will dismay you before them. What if we all recognized that, that God is on our side, that we have the very presence of God as we gently but powerfully communicate the Word of God, how will that motivate us in our Word and in our message? In what ways would that give you great boldness in the middle of the dark? You see, what, what gives us that kind of boldness, what gives us the kind of courage that Jeremiah had is knowing that our Father is indeed with us all the time. Fear is not knowing where you are. Fear is not knowing what's going to come your way. What God is saying to Jeremiah is essentially this. Let me tell you where you are, Jeremiah. You are in my presence. And isn't that the Gospel? The Gospel of Jesus Christ says that we fell from the delightful presence of God. And yeah, we're still in His presence. Everybody's in God's presence. But we were in His wrathful presence. Yet God came into this world, Emmanuel, which means what? Come on, theologians. God with us. Emmanuel came into this world and took God's wrath on Himself to bring us from His wrathful presence into His delightful presence. And so all who turn from their sins and trust in Emmanuel know that God is with us. God is with us. He's with you. He's watching over you in the middle of the dark night, in the middle of your fears, in the middle of the challenges. God is with you. Unless revival happens in Baltimore City, I'm telling you, we've got to be in it for the long haul and recognize it's going to be hard ministry. 
we cannot evaluate our, uh, uh, our, our success by numbers, whether or not we change a neighborhood, whether or not culture changes, how many people we can get a job. That's not how we evaluate success. Jeremiah was in this for 40 years. And he was led away into captivity. They didn't listen to him. Yet he had ministerial success. Why? It's because he was in it for the long haul. He was with God. Faithfully communicating God's Word all in for the long haul. That's what success looks, for, looks like for us as well. We're faithful. We faithfully communicate God's word to all people at all times, no matter what, all in for the long haul. Amen? Amen. Pray with me. Father, we thank you, Lord, for Jeremiah, his faithfulness to you, his readiness to receive your, the mission that you called him to. God, I pray that you would raise up some Jeremiahs in our midst that we might be ready to receive the mission that you call us to, have already called us to here in Baltimore City. And I pray that we will be all in for the long haul for your glory. It's in Jesus' name we pray. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen. Stan, let's sing a verse of this old song, And Can It Be? And we're going to take a moment and have, uh, prepare our hearts for a time of the Lord's Supper. And can it be that I should gain an interest in the Savior's blood? Died he for me who caused his pain for me who hid him to death? take a seat. We're going to take a time around the Lord's table. This is a simple meal as a way for us to be reminded of the greater meal that we have in, uh, in Jesus Christ. And Matthew says that Jesus sat with his disciples and he broke the bread and he passed it to them and he said, eat it all in remembrance of me. He took the cup and he passed it. And he said, drink all of it in remembrance of me. We eat and we drink as a way for us to be reminded of our place in Jesus Christ. This is a meal for Christians, those who have turned from their sins, recognize that they need a Savior. They're clinging to Jesus Christ as their Savior. If you're not a Christian, I'm glad that you're here today. I hope that you keep coming. And I just want to ask, feel free to let the elements pass you by as they come. But we do hope that one day you can eat and drink with us as a token of your own faith in Jesus Christ. If you're visiting here, a member of another church, we invite you to 
eat with us as well as a token of our faith together, unified by the blood of Christ. As the bread comes, eat it individually as a token of your individual walk with Jesus Christ. And as the bread comes, let's bow our heads and let's examine our hearts and prepare, prepare us to receive the Lord's Supper. Father, we thank you for this time that we can eat and drink. We ask that we, as we do, that you will nourish us in our faith and remind us of the beauty and the hope that we have in Jesus Christ. It's in his name we pray. Amen.